Happy New Year. My name is Andrew, and this is the Mountain Park Church Podcast. Today, I am going to pass you off to our children's pastor, uh, Pastor Pam, as we call her here at the church. And um, she is going to walk with us into this second part of our series called An Intentional Life. And the heart behind this whole series, really, as we start this year is to recognize that we are all being shaped, we're all being formed, we are all being discipled, if we want to use a common Christian term, we are all being discipled in our lives. The question we have to ask is by whom or by what are we being discipled? And I would say that myself included, in our Western church, we are very guilty, um, by and large, of having a very unintentional spiritual life. We are unintentional about being formed into the image of Christ, even though some of us go to church every week, maybe we tithe every week, but often the river does not flow a lot deeper than that. We spend way more time being unintentionally discipled by our screens, by media, by news uh, outlets and agencies, by our culture, by the prevailing sort of winds of our culture. And this is a call for us and a call for you and a call for me to pick up a new way of being intentional about our spiritual lives. And so this service that we had was fantastic. We had all of our kids up in the service with us. Pastor Pam led some amazing interactive elements to the service, just like they would do in kids ministry. It was a family service. It was dynamic. It was fun. It was engaging for everybody. And so I want to uh, welcome you to this second week of our An Intentional Life series. Okay, so when we were deciding this morning about what to share, there's so many things that we wanted to share, and so we're trying to focus on what was most important, and we wanted to stick with the theme of intentional living. And we were asking ourselves, what does that look like for young people in our church, for kids or youth? And we were trying to think about different examples of the Bible where people really use intentional living and as a way that God could really work through them. And I was trying to think to myself about what that looked like even as a parent. And um, I was actually thinking about my own parents who are actually here today. Do you guys want to stand? Probably not. No, okay, that's okay. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm just trying to embarrass them. Um, And I I was actually thinking about... um, about my dad even specifically, because my dad is very good with like, he's he's big and he's tall, so he can be like intimidating, but he's very like even keeled, very calm. Any sort of crisis, he's just like, it's gonna be fine. It's fine, we've got this, this is what we're gonna do. And so there's always like a peace and a calm that comes with that. And so I was thinking of all these examples of things that my dad always did intentionally with us growing up that you don't even appreciate until you're older. And one of the things that I was remembering is when I was 16 and I got my first car, I'd saved up and I bought like my own car. So I had like my own freedom. And probably 
I mean, my parents never said this, but looking back, they were probably terrified of me to be driving by myself because I'm not like super pay attention kind of person. And I'm just like, do to do. And I'm not the most careful person. I'm not really gentle. Sometimes my mom would affectionately refer to me as Rammy Pammy when I was little because I'm not like a slow, calm person. So I can only imagine my parents were probably like praying every day that I pulled out of the driveway in my car. But also I grew up in Ridgeway, Fort Erie area. And as we all know, that is like the polar vortex of the Niagara region. So we experienced a lot of snow. And um, the first winter that I had my license and I had my car. It was like the first big snowfall. And my dad was like, okay, Pam, grab your keys, get in your car. We're going to go for a drive. And I was like, okay. So we drove down to the County Fair Mall. Any 40 people? Does that ring a bell? County Fair Mall? Yep. Okay. I don't even know if it's still there, but we drove down there. It was closed down, I think maybe because of the snow. So there was a big empty parking lot, lots of snow. And my dad was like, okay, you're going to get in the car. And when I tell you, you're going to floor it as fast as you can and then slam on the brakes. And I was like, what? Why? And he said, because when you're driving out in the winter, I don't want the first time that you hit ice and lose control of your car to be when you're driving alone. So we're going to practice this so that you know what it feels like. And so when you hit ice, you don't have to panic because you're going to know what to do. So we spent the rest of the afternoon doing just that, driving fast, slamming on the brakes, sliding, and my dad would say, okay, pump the brakes, okay, now steer out of it, okay, don't overcorrect, and kind of taught me how to drive on ice. And I, that's just the kind of thing that my dad always did, this like preparing us ahead of time to know the expectation. And I was thinking about that the other day, about how important that is to give our kids tools and to prepare them for what they're going to encounter in the best way that we can. And I don't think that I really even appreciated that about my parents because that was just normal to me, just kind of how they were until I became a parent myself. And then I realized, wow, you have to really, you know, they're not just fun. You have to get like a job to do here. And, um, The one who taught me that the most was my son, Cole. If you know Cole, he's great. He's super sweet. And if you know Naya, like Naya was my first and she was just like the easiest baby. So how Pastor Alex was sharing all these judgments you have when you're not a parent, I had those, but then I had this really easy child. So then I really was overconfident. I was like, I am literally rocking motherhood. This is so easy. My child's so perfect. And then, and then Cole came along and he's, he's amazing, but he was not as, um, you know, calm and quiet and easy tempered as Naya. So I had to change my parenting style. So Cole went, Cole's always been super inquisitive. Um, He likes to know how things work. He thinks things through. He likes history. He likes puzzles. And um, like even the other day, we're driving in the car, just him and I, out of nowhere, he says, so I have a question for you. If two cars are driving down the road, and they're the exact same make and model of car, and they're going the exact same speed, and they're heading towards each other, and they crash at the exact same spot in the exact same road conditions. Will the damage to the cars be exactly the same, or could they be different? I was like, I, I, I don't even know why, why are you asking this? It was just, but this is just how his mind works. He always is thinking and asking. He's just so curious all the time. 
So when he was little, probably the age is like two and a half, three to five, and he would have a lot of questions, but he would ask his question in public at like level 10 volume, and he would usually point point and loud, mom, what's that? And there were so many times where he said the most wildly inappropriate, offensive, culturally incorrect questions at level 10 volume, and I would be absolutely mortified. And he always did it genuine, and he was just curious. He wasn't trying to be rude, but it made it so that I was afraid sometimes in public settings of what was going to happen. And even I remember once we were vacationing with the Platt family with Andrew and Rochelle and their kids. And I, I can't even tell you the details of this story because it's literally so offensive. I don't think I can share all. But we were out with our kids. The kids were a few feet away from us. And then we saw this really interesting thing happening in front of us. And I said, right, oh no, I hope Cole doesn't see that. And he was probably like two and a half, three. And I'm just looking over because he's away. And sure enough, I see his head whip over and his eyes get big. And then it was like slow motion, like the hand and the mouth. And like, mom, look at that. And you're just, it's so embarrassing. Like all you can do is just, and then other people are looking like, whose kid is that? And you just, can apologize, just like, I'm sorry, and leave. Like, you just have to leave. You, there's no getting out of it. You have to leave wherever you are because it's awful. So we had had this trip with the Plets. This is what happens. I'm still scarred. We, we are about to go to Los Angeles, downtown LA, for this other trip a couple weeks later. So I don't know what I was thinking. I, we arrive late. The flight is late. We're getting into the hotel as all of the like nightlife people are like coming out. And so Cole's in the stroller and thankfully he's like half awake. So, but he's looking around like, oh, and I just like slam that shade down in the stroller and rush him to the, to the elevator and the door shut. And I was like, oh, phew. But then I was thinking all night, like, what was I thinking? What am I going to do? Like, they carry guns here in the U.S. Like, we can't be just shouting out insulting things. This is, I'm just going worst case scenario. So then I'm thinking, I've, I've got to get ahead of this. I have to plan. I have to be intentional about our day tomorrow. I've got to get ahead of this, and I have to prepare him. So the next morning, we get up, ready to go. I sit Naya and Cole on the edge of the bed in the hotel, and I'm like, okay, guys, here, we're here. We're in a new city, and it's really different from where we live. And so we're going to see all kinds of different things, and we're going to see all kinds of different people. And usually, when you see things that are different, you have questions. And that's great. So every night, when we come back to the hotel, we're going to have question time. And you can ask mommy any question about anything you've seen today. But what we're not going to do is see something and yell our question and point at our question. We're going to save our question for question time. And they're like, oh, yes, okay. I'm like, everyone get this? So no yelling questions out. Save it for question time. Yep, okay, mommy, yes, yep, we get it. Okay, great. We leave. We're going downtown. We're downtown for maybe 10, 15 minutes. I'm holding Cole's hand. And then all of a sudden comes the first question. And I just see Cole look. And his eyes get wide, and he squeezes my hand, and I whispered to him, I see that question. And then he was like, oh, okay. 
And then as we walked again and we saw another question, I would say, I see that question. And as the day went on, we'd say, and he'd say, look, look at that question. I'm like, isn't that an interesting question? We're gonna save that question for later. And then we were able to make it through the whole day and we saw really interesting questions. And at the end of the day, we were able to talk about it, which was great. And then that was kind of the end of that phase with Cole. He learned to save his questions for later when we're talking in private, which was way more appropriate. And I thought to myself, I needed to have figured this out like 15 public humiliations earlier, but I was a little slow to the prepping and being intentional with our kids and preparing them for what they're gonna see. Um, And so it just made me think about how we have jobs as parents and even just as community together, even if you're here and you don't have kids or maybe your kids are grown and they're out of the house and you don't have little ones with you right now, we all still have a responsibility to help raise and prepare our kids for the next generation. And this is a time that is more tricky than ever. Like, I don't know about you guys, but... I even think, you know, I feel like it was like, it used to be as a kid, you would complain about something or something was hard and your parents or grandparent would be like, oh, are you kidding? You have it so easy. I walked barefoot downhill, you know, with the beaver chasing me and, you know, like these crazy stories of like how much harder it was in the past. But I feel like this is actually the first generation Or that's not true. Sometimes things that I hear my kids share or hear kids um, hear share, and I think to myself, wow, I would not want to be a kid trying to grow up in this culture and this generation and navigating all of the things that, um, that the kids are dealing with. And one of the things that is so interesting. Something that I really like, they probably get this from my mom. I really love like history and facts. I love learning about the past. I love data. I just find it fascinating to know how things work, especially humans, human behavior, how your brain works, why you do some of the things you do. And so I love reading books specifically about kids and how kids work. And one of the things I was reading in this book that I really love um, by George Barner called Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. It's one of the books I've read repeatedly. I'm not an overreader. Normally, if I read a book, that's it. I don't read books two and three times, but this book I have. Um, and it's so interesting because he was sharing in there a lot of the data where children develop their core belief system, their core values, how they see the world, how they see themselves, what they think about God. And it starts at age 15 months. Isn't that crazy? So wild. And so a lot of the learning, especially at the beginning, is not even verbal. It's not actual auditory learning like you have as you get older, but it's experiential learning. They say that kids are absorbing like a sponge, right? So the environment they're in, if they feel safe, if they feel love, if they feel protected, if they feel secure, or if they feel stressed or unsure, unsafe, or not secure. And all of those things start developing a child, what they think about themselves and how they're going to carry themselves through the world. They say that like between 15 months and three years old is actually the most crucial stage because actually kids in in that time, all of us did this, there's no neutral time. 
So when you're 15 months to three, there's no time where you're just sitting there like, da, 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 even if it seems like it and you're not absorbing anything. You're always learning. You're always learning from the second your eyes open to the second your eyes close, you're learning. Even if it's not what you hear, it's what you feel. It's what you see. The example set before you, you're learning and you're processing and you're deciding who you're going to be. They say that up until nine years old, basically your value system is fully formed. So what you think is right and wrong, where you would express empathy, what you, how you, your guilt processing, all of that is usually developed by age nine. And then by the time you're 13, studies show that it's almost unchangeable. So they say two out of three people who are 13 years and older cannot or will not change their value system and how they see the world beyond age 13. So we know that God can do anything and there's miraculous situations for sure, but that is what the data shows mostly which is only to just one thing exciting and one thing terrifying is that we have an amazing opportunity, that's what's exciting, to invest in and help build up and contribute to the positive um, core value system that our young people develop. But also it's a little scary because it makes you realize like, we have a big responsibility here, right? We can't just be like coming and having fun, letting them do their own thing because they're learning and they're shaping and they're forming who they're going to be. Um, so really what that tells us is that things matter a lot more than maybe we thought they would. So what your kids watch on TV beyond, below age 13, that really matters. The lyrics and the music that our kids listen to really matters. The YouTubers that our kids follow and watch and idolize really matters. The teachers and the school system that they're in every single day, the things they're learning when they're outside of our care, that really, really matters. And the positive influences that they have from their family or people who love them or their church family or anyone who can surround them, that really, really matters. It's so important. Um, so we wanna have a lasting impact on our kids, right? And we want them to have a lasting impact on the world. And that means that we have to give them a positive influence and we have to reinforce that often. And it can seem hard and it can seem overwhelming to think, but how do you do that because of this challenge and that challenge? And so one thing that I think is a great um, example in the Bible is the life of Daniel. So Pastor Alex and I were talking about this and it's so true. Daniel, if you read the story of his life, it's kind of wild, especially if I always like to think, okay, what if that was me? What if this happened to me? And then my brain usually short circuits because I think I wouldn't make it. And I can't even think beyond what happens because I don't even know if I could handle the things that they handle. So we're going to actually read a par par portion of Daniel together. So if you have a Bible, Grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible or kids want to participate too, we brought some extra Bibles from downstairs up here. Just run and grab one. And we're going to do kind of like a little activity with our Bible reading that we do every single week downstairs. So make sure that you grab a Bible or if you have your phone, pull it up on the app because you don't want to be the first party pooper here, right? And not able to participate. So we're going to all participate in this together. But while you're doing that, we will just do a little overview, a quick recap of Daniel because Daniel's life is, is, he lived quite a long time and a lot of things happened that we can't cover everything today. But basically Daniel, 
He's a young man. He's about 15. He's living in Judah and Jerusalem. And he's with his family and his community. And then uh, the Babylonians attack. They take over. They capture. King Nebuchadnezzar has this plan. He's going to capture these young, strong, smart, brave men and bring them back to help to um, further the Babylonian empire. And so Daniel is one of those who's captured and he's taken away. So think about this. Your 15-year-old boy, you're now captured. You're taken away from your country of origin. You're taken to a new place. You have no idea what's going to happen to you, if you're going to be treated well, if you're going to be tortured. You don't know. You don't know if you'll ever see your family again. You're in a new place, a new culture. Everything is different and unfamiliar to you. The language is different. And when you get there, just to kind of put the cherry on top of just indoctrinating you into the Babylonian way, they even change your name. You don't even get your own identity that you've known your whole life. They change your name. And that is what happened to Daniel. So um, Daniel is living there. He's having to make these decisions between being respectful and serving um, the, the king that he's under and the leaders he's under. And he does a good job of that. We know this because he's respected. And if he was just this rebellious, like, I don't care, I'm not conforming, you know, they wouldn't have respected him. So he's able to get respect from people, but he also doesn't compromise his core belief system and his core values of what he believes about God and himself and his responsibility to God. So you see all through Daniel, he's always making this balance between serving and being respectful, but when he has to take a stand, he's respectfully taking a stand and saying, ooh, that's a line I'm not going to cross, right? So the king is pleased with Daniel after he's gone through some training. He actually, it actually says the king noticed that he was superior to everybody else, and so he's finding favor the king starts to get these crazy dreams, right? He's dreaming these wild and crazy things he knows are not just nightmares, but they actually mean something he can't sleep and it's driving him crazy. So he gets his sorcerers and his wise men that usually help him with this kind of thing and they can't help him. Nobody knows what his dreams are. Nobody knows how to interpret him. He freaks out because I think he was a little unstable and he just is like, death to them all. Just kill them if they can't help me. And so Daniel realizes this is a drastic situation, he prays to God and says, God, will you help show me what this dream is and give me a way to interpret it? God does. Daniel goes to the king. He says, this is the dream that you had. The king's like, yeah, that is actually exactly. And then Daniel interprets it for him. It says the the king falls on his face. He's so excited and he's so in awe that Daniel serves the real God of all gods. And so that's what's happening as um, a young man. So Daniel is serving, serving. And then we come to the part of the story that's maybe something that Daniel's the most um, well-known for, and it is his encounter with a den of lions. Now, contrary to the, um, the animation in Bibles, Daniel, when he went to Babylon, he was 15, but when he was thrown into the den of lions, he was actually in his 80s, something. So he'd been there a long, long time. And he had been serving, and he was in a high respected position, which means that he has been able to serve, and, and but he's never given in to 
the cultural demands. He's never given into the pressure. People all around, different leaders are jealous of Daniel. They're annoyed because he's not even, he's like a foreigner who was brought over here and he's not even like the real one of us. And yet he's getting respected and having favor. So they're always plotting against him. Like Daniel's life, there's a lot of turmoil and stress going on all the time, but he's faithful to God. He submits his life to God. And he never turns or wavers from that, no matter the pressure, even when he's threatened with death. And it's not just like, um, you know, an, a death that's sort of humane and quick and painless. This is like a den of lions who, you know, like they're probably abusing these lions. They starve them so they're hungry. Like anything that enters that pit is going to be devoured. Like imagine that being said, like you do what we say or that's the alternative. If you think of yourself like that, how easy or hard would it be to still stand and make the choices that Daniel made? So we're gonna read and see what happens. So we're gonna be in Daniel chapter six, verse one. So turn and see if you can find that. So just as a reminder for kids or anyone in here, if you're not sure how to find that, you can go to the beginning of your Bible. There's a table of contents and it will show you where you can find Daniel. Flip to that page and we're gonna find the big dark six and then the little one means chapter six, verse one. And so something that we like to do together, we read our verses every week together downstairs and we um, do a fun little game where the kids follow along with the words as I'm reading. And then every so often I pause. And if you know what word comes next when I pause, you can put your hand up and then yell out the word. And then if you know the word, you get a prize. So our, some of our volunteers have some prize bucks. If some of you kids know the answer, you can do it. And then we also have some like Starbucks gift cards and some good prizes as well for the adults. If you guys know the answer, you can put your hand up and give that a shot as well. Okay, is everybody ready? Do you guys need more time? Has everyone found Daniel chapter six? We're good? Okay, so let's all stand together for the reading of God's word. Okay, and then we're gonna do this. Point your fingers up. Let me see your pointer finger. Everyone's ready for it? Okay, and so we're gonna take our pointer finger. We're gonna put it down onto the first word. In my Bible, the word is it or something like that. And then I'm going to read and we're gonna follow along. Okay, are you guys ready? Okay. It pleased Darius, Darius is the king at that point, to appoint 120 satraps to the rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps, so kids or anyone who's unsure, those were just governors, other people who were in a position of authority, okay? The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Very good, Liam. It is kingdom good. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Go Daniel. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, 
Oh, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue this decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be Yes, altered. Whoever said altered, prize to you. Very good. In accordance with the laws of Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Oh, no. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays. Very good. Got to praise there. Three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, remember, O king, that according to the law of Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw, good, Greta, him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring of his nobles so that Daniel's situation could not be good, changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to them and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God has sent an angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had been trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely good accused Daniel were brought into and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Yikes. Then King Darius went to all the people's nations and the men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that every part of my kingdom must, kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Very good. You guys may be seated. Good job following along. Good. So we see in that story the same 
consistency that Daniel experiences through his life, where he has a trial, he faces adversity. And to me, I can just imagine Daniel, when I read Daniel, I can imagine that he probably asks himself one question every time he encounters these kinds of challenges. And I think when he's making the decision, it's like he's asked himself, does this honor God? And then when he comes to his answer, that determines how he makes a decision. And I was thinking about how that's something that I would love to intentionally this year equip our kids and our youth with is the ability to encounter every situation and ask the question, does this honor God? So when they are in the schoolyard and there's conversations happening and they're trying to decide if they're comfortable or if they're gonna participate, that they ask themselves, does this honor God? And when they're online and they're scrolling around, maybe outside of uh, eyes of parents or a supervisor, and they're clicking around and they decide what they're going to view, they ask themselves, does this honor God? When they're having conversations with their friends, maybe about people or about things when other people aren't around, and they're deciding how much they're gonna contribute to this conversation, they ask the question, does this honor God? And as they get older and when they're outside of our care and parents are not around all the time to say, yes, you can do this or yes, you can't do that. And they have to make decisions for themselves and they're thinking, oh, should I do this? Is it right or wrong? That they can just stop and ask themselves, but does this honor God? And then they're able to make the decision. I feel like that is a question. It seems that Daniel was able to ask himself throughout his lifetime to help navigate all of the challenges he experienced in the culture that he was a part of. Because it was very different from his core beliefs and it was very different from the values that he was raised in. But you have to know, even if think of yourself as a 15 year old, there is no way that Daniel was able to have that core value system, to have that biblical worldview on his own. It didn't just happen. Like he was just, you know, skipping around until he was 15 at home and then, whoa, he's captured. And then, ah, I have to make all these choices. What do I do? And then he just coincidentally makes these right choices. There's no way that that is true. We know that there had to have been people in Daniel's life who were teaching him and preparing them. And they would have because it was a very hostile time then. I don't think that a lot of these wars that took place came as a super huge surprise. They knew that there was unrest. They knew that they had to prepare their kids when the time they were young because they never knew what was going to happen. They had no idea when they would see their child or not see their child, what things their child would face outside of their own care. And so Daniel... He's raised to make a lot of decisions to honor God above all else because he has a priority and the intention is causing a priority in his life. So the priority above all else is to honor God. And that's something that I feel like is so useful for us to rally as a community and teach that to our kids as parents and even just as community together. We know in the Bible that it says it's really good to come together as a body of Christ because we can't always do it on our own. There comes a time in your kid's life, they actually say, there's other research that I read because I love my research, where they say that kids of primary age, so toddler into grade school, they poll kids, the greatest influence in a child's life is who? You could probably guess, at that age. 
Parents, that's right. Parents are your primary caregiver. But by age 16, when they polled kids, it actually completely flipped. And parents, or the primary caregiver, had the least influence in a child's life. And it was a lot of other factors, like their friends, huge and high. And nowadays, it's what they consume on television, online, through media. And it can be really scary because for the first time really in history, this generation, they have this really intimate relationship with people that we don't know in the palm of their hand. Every day, we have no idea what information they are receiving, what they are being taught, because you're not always sitting right beside your child when they're on their phone or on an iPad or when they're watching something or they're streaming something. But all of that information, it's not just fun. They're not just vegging out. They're actually consuming that information and they're processing it. And they're deciding, what am I gonna do with this? Do I think this is right? Or do I think this is wrong? Is this something I'm gonna do in my life? Or is this something that I shouldn't be doing? And for the first time as parents, we're kind of hands off on that. We don't have as much control over what our kids are exposed to. And that can be a really dangerous thing if it's the wrong thing. Um, They also say that verbal um, influence is actually lower on the percentage than things that kids or young people see and experience. So you can say a lot of things, and it's great to have conversations with your kids, but they're watching everything you do. And they're watching you and the decisions that you make and the priority that you set for your family. And so that is a real challenge for us to think about what we do as a family, right? And the example that we set and, and the priority. What do we say in our family is a priority? And um, Pastor Alex and I were here every week and we love to be with your kids and with your youth. And we wanna be a positive influence in their life. We wanna team up with you and um, help to you develop your child's core beliefs and help them establish a biblical worldview. Um, but it's it's got to be a priority to us, right? And so I'm just going to put something out there. I'm almost done. That I've just waited to the end because this is the thing I wanted to say the least. So I'm just waiting to the end and we're at the end. So I, because I don't really love confrontation. I'm actually really bad at it. That's probably why I don't like it. So I'm going to say something that I don't know how everyone will feel. It's just something to think about. And if you don't like it or it upsets you, you can email Pastor Alex, and he'll talk to you about it later, okay? So one of the things that we can think of as parents and as caregivers for kids is the priority that we establish in our family for um, their learning about God, being a part of a like-minded, believing community. And because the reality is we are living with an eternal perspective, right? So we can get so caught up in the everyday and what we're doing and we can get busy and our kids are like, I wanna do this and I wanna do that. And Johnny down the road does this and Timmy does that. And you feel the pressure to give your kids every experience. And I totally know, cause I'm right there with you of feeling that pressure. But at the end of our child's time on earth, when they stand before God and they can't bring any trophies, they can't bring any ribbons, all of their earthly accomplishments, they don't even matter, right? They don't matter at all. 
the only thing that matters at that time for the rest of eternity is what they thought about God and the choices that they made in their life on earth and how they handled that question, does this honor God? That's the only thing that matters. So I know sometimes it's hard to get kids up early to come to church or to have them come to a youth event or to go to a retreat. Maybe they feel nervous, but to keep working on it to provide those environments for them. Tell your kids, this is a priority. This is a huge priority for our family. And there's nothing wrong with doing other things or sports or extracurriculars, but we want to make sure that we are prioritizing intentionally our families, what our core values are, what is the most important thing to our family, and then everything else goes underneath. So um, we just want to let you know too that we are here for you. We love you guys. We both are in the midst of parenting, so we by no means have all the answers, so we're right there with you trying our best to raise kids who love God, who know God, and um, and we want to do that even more this year. We have some plans for a lot of um, cool family experiences that we're working on. And so if you guys ever need anything um, or you need a little extra TLC with your kids or your families, just let us know. We would love to help you and to walk with you in that. And um, so we just wanted to close this morning by um, taking time to pray together. So a lot of you have your kids in the service with you or your youth. And I know that sometimes this can even be uncomfortable, but this is a really good habit to start getting into if we want to just band together as families. So bring your kids close. If grandparents, if you're here, or aunts and uncles, or anyone who's really related, try to move around in the sanctuary today to kind of sit together. And we're going to just take some time to pray over our kids and our young people. And if you're here and you, and you don't have young people or a family and you see somebody, feel free to go and pray with that group, that family group, or you can just pray in your seat quietly and just ask God, what what is my role? If I'm not a parent or I'm a parent of adult kids, what is my role to help this generation? Because we all can do something to be an influence in these kids' lives and to help point them towards a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus. So I think Jess is going to come up with the band and play a little music. And so if you guys just want to take some time to kind of move and get together and kids, if you can find your way back to your parents, that's great. And then, um, so I'm going to start to pray. I think Pastor Alex is going to come up as well and he's going to pray for the youth. But if we could just all um, bow our heads together. God, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather here together as a community of people who are not perfect and don't have all the answers, but we love you and um, we have a desire to be in a relationship with you and to have you as the leader of our lives. And we don't always get it perfect and we don't always get it right, but um, we're just trying our best, God. And we're just so grateful for your patience with us and your grace um, in every moment and for those for those of us who have kids who you've entrusted to us and to our care we're just so grateful um, for the opportunity to be parents and um, 
we're just coming to you now because you know everything about us. You know that sometimes our parenting days are easy and a breeze and sometimes we feel like we don't know what we're doing and we feel so lost. And so we need you, Jesus. We know that we need you every single moment of the day to help us train these children and prepare them for the future that they're walking into. And our desire more than anything is to raise kids who know you and who love you and who trust you when they make decisions, God. And so we're just asking right now um, for the strength to do that and that Holy Spirit, you would speak to us and show us the ways to parent our kids in a godly way. And, um, and I just ask for a special protection over every child or youth who is in this building, that God, you would protect their hearts and their minds. We know that there is a great, strong effort to pull our kids away from you and towards the world and towards things that will hurt them and things that will separate them from you. And so we just ask for a protection of their hearts and of their minds, that they would continually seek you and that they would have a desire to have a deep and meaningful relationship with you for the rest of their lives. Thank you.